Welcome to the VBAC link, you guys. This is Megan, your host, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. Today's guest is an amazing OBGYN in Australia. She has caught 15, over 1,500 babies and believes in supporting women and families to make individual choices that feels right for them. You guys, she is making such a big impact in Australia and um, I am just so excited to kind of pick her brain and hear more of her journey of how she has been changing the norm in Australia. Uh, we have review of the week. So, of course, I'm going to jump into that before we start with Dr. Natalie. Okay, so today's re review is actually pretty short, and it's from Dr. Stephen Rochard, who is amazing, and we actually have him on a podcast back I don't know, probably back in the early 100s, maybe. He is a chiropractor and his wife has also had a VBAC. And he says the VBAC link is phenomenal. Great podcast content and training for birth workers. So thank you, Dr. Roshar. We're so happy that you love the VBAC link. We love you and believe in chiropractic care so much. So as usual, if you have not had an opportunity to leave the VBAC link a review, we would love that. I love getting these reviews. It makes me smile and we love reading them on the podcast. So push pause right now, head over to Apple iTunes. You can leave us a review. Um, a five-star review would be awesome and a, a written review. Um, and then, or you could do it on Google or you can do it on Facebook or you can email us, whatever that may be. We would love your reviews. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Okay, Dr. Elphinstone, we're so excited to have you. So grateful for you. I know your time is precious in the OB land. You are working. You are obviously seeing a ton of births. So grateful to have you. Again, thank you so much for, for being here. And, you know, in the birth world, like we have, we get these comments sometimes like, oh, we love the VBAC link. And then like, or like, oh, I girl crush on you. Like I'm girl crushing on Dr. Natalie Elphinstone today. You guys, like she's the freaking coolest, like so cool. I'm so honored to have her on the show today. And I'm so honored to share with you her knowledge because you guys, you're going to fall in love with her too. And if you don't follow her Instagram right now, press pause and go check her Instagram out. Do you have a Facebook too? Or just me? I think I just follow you on Instagram. Yeah. I just, uh, sadly, I just do the Instagram thing. That is okay. Yeah. So, and you're just at Dr. Natalie Elphinstone, right? Yep. Like that's oh, one your, word, one really long word, one really long word. <laughs> But you guys, it's amazing. So I want to kind of give you a little bit of background. So something, this is how I found her. I actually found her off of a, a video, and you may have seen these going around, of a maternal-assisted cesarean delivery. 
and it it brought me chills it made me cry and i was just like oh my gosh like i want to do this i want to have this option here in the us um she's in australia too so not here in the us so yeah i i don't even know you just your page is starting to blowing up and this video started going viral and um i i started i shared it and i i think i just wrote you I think I think I just wrote and was like, wow, like this is amazing or something. And crazy enough, we had some crazy emails coming through like, oh, that's fake. That's not real. It's a simulation. And I was like, what? Like, no. So anyway, so I wrote Dr. Elphinstone and I just said, hey, like, I would love to have you on the podcast. And she is so gracious and said, yes. So we are going to dive right in. I always say dive right in, but we are diving right in <laughs> to learn more about what she does and how she is truly changing the birth world in Australia. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for even thinking of having me come and talk on, of course, a podcast that tends to be concentrating on V-backs. Um, and, yes. and yet, yes, I am getting known for this maternal or parent-assisted cesarean. And so, to be honest, it took me a little bit by surprise that you thought maybe I would be somebody to talk to. And I mean, the whole thing takes me by surprise. When I started off just sharing some of the videos of my um, maternal assisted cesareans, it was not with any kind of intention of, of trying to be this game changer. I actually just wanted to show something that we did that was really, really awesome and and maybe with that idea of well if if we can do it here then maybe it can inspire other people to open up their mind to this possibility as well and it then just kind of blew up as you said like it started getting reshared i started getting contacted by people all around the world um mm -hmm. asking for like my help and my advice on how they could possibly do it in in their country and i'm super super honored to be able to share then my journey and, and my knowledge and you know, to date now, I can say that I was just contacted again by one other country over um, over the weekend who have contacted me to say thank you very much for the information that you shared was able to allow me this opportunity to do a maternal assisted cesarean for possibly the first time in my country. And that's this was Ireland. Um, so I'm pleased to say that Ireland is now the sixth country that I'm aware of that I've been able to help impact for at least one individual um, person. And this is just mind blowing to me. And I feel just so privileged to be um, able to not do anything special. I don't think I'm doing anything special. I'm just open to changing my practice and then to share it so that mm -hmm. it is seen that it is something that's possible. And so when you then get people that say that's fake, I mean, oh, that actually just makes me really sad. It makes me really sad that this idea of what I'm showing this mother-assisted cesarean is so far removed from what they believe to be reality and what they know in their world yes. that they think it must be fake. And that's I actually what that to me. I, me too. And that it does. It breaks my heart that that this world has come to the point where we're so blinded, we're so close-minded and just looking down this tunnel that we can't see the possibilities outside of the norm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
and and that's what it is for me. This is just me thinking uh, with an open mind of can we do something different? And if the answer is yes, then why why don't we? And why can't we? And how do we make that happen? Right. So that's how I started. I know, and and that's something like that's what I love is it it's gonna take someone to get it started for it to happen, right? And here you are, you're doing it. You are doing it and you're changing it. Like it's hopefully just going to slowly trickle on down and spread throughout the world and see that cesarean birth can be different. It can be different. And, you know, each video, each video, they're they're all different. Um, But like sometimes I have seen like you've got videographers or someone like in the OR, even on the other (laughs) side, like. I mean, I, we've got two different views of baby coming out. Right? Yes. We have mom reaching down and pulling baby out. And then we have the other side where the amniotic fluid is pouring out. And like, it, it's just so dang cool. <laughs> it's so dang cool. <laughs> I love it. And I, for my second cesarean, I watched it in a mirror. And yeah. so I wasn't able to be a, a part of my birth in the way that you were creating people to be being a part of their birth but um i saw it in a mirror and it was really cool and really special and that right there that and the skin to skin that i was able to get made the difference and created the healing for an undesired cesarean birth that i that i had right and it it truly created that healing aspect so i mean i don't know if i can just i'm just gonna shoot it out there like how how did you just like okay this you're seeing it in your head and you're like we're going to do this. <laughs> what, what kind of, what kind of flack or backlash did you yeah. get or pushback did you get in your space there in Australia? Like, what did you get there and how did you personally push back? <laughs> yeah, it, it's really, uh, it's a really good question because I think everybody who has then wanted to try to pursue this journey comes back and and says, but I'm getting met with these challenges and I'm getting met with like these accusations and I'm sort of just getting shut down. And I think that probably everybody will meet some of those challenges. And and yes, and I met those challenges too. My my journey of how this happened to me, and I always tell this story because I think it's a really important part of this story, is that this wasn't on my radar. I, I, to be honest, I didn't think of it myself. I had a single patient come to me who I was looking after for her antenatal course, and it was her first baby. And she had decided for various reasons um, that a cesarean birth was the way that she was going to go. And then she came to me and she said, I've seen on somebody else's social media, this idea of a like a dad assisted cesarean, a partner assisted cesarean. Ah. Um, and she said, can we do that? And I said, well, I've, I've never seen that happen before in real life. It's definitely never been done at this hospital. I don't know that it's ever been done anywhere in my area um, before. But, uh, and so like one easy spot to stop there would be for me to then just say, so no, we can't do that. And that would have been a really easy answer. Um, But instead, I went, well, uh, maybe why not? Like, why can't we do that? That that does seem pretty cool. Um, It does seem like it might be a really valuable thing if that's something that you want to do. So what do we, how do we make that happen? 
And so, yeah, so my point is, number one, like this whole thing started with one person, one patient herself coming to me saying, can we do this? Um, so it always starts. It can start really, really small. Um, and so I was in a privileged position where I had the opportunity to go basically straight to the top of the hospital. So I'm talking about I'm working in a private hospital in Australia for, for this scenario. Um, and so I literally just went to the CEO of the hospital and I asked her, I said, I don't know how to make an, a new procedure happen. Tell me what I need to do to be able to make this happen. I mean, number one, uh, um, you know, I asked her, are you on board? Can I make this happen? Yeah. Um, and to be fair, I was kind of even expecting to sort of be shut down at that point. Um, but my gosh, she said, yeah, she said, that sounds like, yeah, why not? Because a very quick answer would be it always comes down to when it comes to say new procedures is is there a value in it is there an importance is it does it achieve something so to speak and then the second thing is it dangerous or are there risks or are there concerns about that and if you can sort of tick off those two boxes then yeah why we we can do a new procedure but there are some hoops to jump through and she told me what those hoops to jump through were like i had to write a policy um, you know, hospitals always want to sort of know this very sort of streamlined checklist, if you like, of how do you do this new um, procedure. And then I had to get that policy sort of approved by the various um, levels of boards, if you like, um, at the hospital. And so I had to present this to a couple of different meetings. And and that's that's where things got really interesting. Like I can write a policy, I can write a protocol. That's just like me sitting at the desk and typing stuff out. Right. Um, <laughs> but then presenting this idea to boards of people to get uh, a general consensus that this seems like a good thing to do. I guess I was really naive going into that. I guess I believed that this was a really important thing to do. And so I probably expected that everybody else would as well, <laughs> but clearly not. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was definitely my naivety at play there. And, uh, and, and so I then got met with these sort of challenges, if you like, from the, the, the people hearing it, everything from just this, like, they just laughed it off. Like, that sounds like the most ridiculous thing in the world. Um, oh and gosh. I mean, I guess when you're talking to say surgeons, for example, surgeons, yes, we operate people are asleep and we cut them open and we do a procedure and there's a lot of these rules around that you know to keep it sterile and to keep it clean and to keep it safe mm -hmm. um and and to be fair so here i am suggesting that you know this woman who is awake and having her operation is going to literally reach down into her own open wound and, and pull out her baby and so yeah okay i get why it might sound ridiculous if you don't have the understanding of the fact that this is birth rather than it being an operation. Yes. Um, and I think that's a really important part to remember um, and that I hope that none of us ever forget when we're doing any kind of cesarean or any kind of birth, instrumental birth or whatever, is that this is not just a procedure that we're performing on somebody. This is their birth. Um, yes. This is something that they are going to remember forever. And so even if this is like the fifth cesarean I've done this morning um, and, you know, I'm getting a bit hungry and I'm a bit bored, whatever, <laughs> that's, oh, my gosh, that's not the point. Um, the point is remembering that this is the most astounding thing that's ever happened in this woman's life and this family's life. Um, and so let's make it really, really special. Anyway, I digress. I digress. 
Absolutely, no. though. But you digress in a good direction, though, because it's so true. And it's, I'm sure I'm not a provider. I don't know. I'm sure it just gets repetitive, right? Like, yeah, it can. Oh, certainly. walk in, catch a baby, walk in, have a cesarean. Like, but if you can, if you can walk in, if you're a birth worker listening, and I mean, that goes for all birth workers, right? Walk in and remember, like, to truly hold space for that person and, and be there for that person because it is something they're going to remember forever. You probably won't remember two months down the road, but they will. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that that's something that hopefully every provider continues to keep in the forefront of their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, like I've, I've certainly had the times where, let's be honest, sometimes I haven't or, or you know, I, I honour the birth experience but perhaps at a cesarean. And so often we then think, say, the woman's really distracted now, her baby's out, she's focusing on her baby and and we're just getting on with the rest of the operation and we're perhaps, um, you know, closing her up, et cetera. And, and often, let's be fair, I am then just having a conversation with my colleagues around me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I've, I've had that um, sort of not come back to bite me because I don't think I've ever said anything inappropriate in that situation, but, um, you know, the the women and the the partners have, have come back and saying, oh, yeah, and then we heard you chatting about other things and actually a lot of the time when they're telling me that they're they're telling me that they were kind of reassured by that because they knew that if I was just perhaps having this general chit chat that clearly I wasn't worried about anything that was happening at their operation yeah yeah (laughs) I can um, I can see that but it's a kind of company but it is interesting though because with my first baby that's what I remember I don't Mm. remember I don't remember my baby's cry I don't remember seeing my baby. I remember the doctor and the assistant on the other side of the curtain talking about how terrible the storm was outside and how one just got back from Hawaii and was so depressed. Oh. Like that's yeah. what I remember about <laughs> my birth, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so I think and I don't quite know what the answer to that is because it is going to be this balance between definitely wanting to honor that birth space. But yes, at the same time, we're humans too, and and it is our job, um, mm-hmm. and and we love our job. Uh, but sometimes, yes, part of that job is you know just bonding talking with our colleagues as well. Yeah, right? talking on yeah. the job—that's what you do, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But but that like that's always a wake up call. Like, just be you know for us, always being really mindful of even just what that general chit chat might be that okay so yeah let's talk about our holidays that's a good memory but maybe let's not like complain about something else that's like our other colleague down the road sort of deal like let's keep that somewhere else yes oh gosh um so yeah so I did definitely meet with some criticisms as I said just one that just general not understanding the importance of it and this sort of incredulity of of the sort of ridiculousness of the things that I was asking for. Um, and then there was the stuff that you kind of expect, like the actual medical concerns that um, mm-hmm. the other um, perhaps people might have, like, is this a danger to the woman? Does it increase her infection mm-hmm. rates? Is it a danger to the baby? Like the baby might get um, too cold and, and you know, the pediatricians can't get access to the baby quickly. Those sorts of concerns that are coming actually from a genuine place of we're still wanting to do the absolute very best for our, our families. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, there is an answer to all of those questions. Um, and, and then there was uh, the people who... And I'm not sure what that motivation is. Maybe it's a threat for them, perhaps other providers who have always 
done things a certain way. And so anytime you're going to sort of want to change a procedure, number one, you've got to, yeah, you've got to realize why it's important to change a procedure. So with a cesarean, for example, we've been doing a fairly sort of stock standard way of doing this mm-hmm. um, cesarean for uh, who knows how long. And certainly as long as I've been training, it's always been done in the same way. Um, and, and possibly I imagine it's been done pretty much in the same way for many decades. And so why would I change something that I can't see a problem with? So it's not, you know, well, in most providers' eyes, perhaps, you know, it's there's no problem with this, there's no danger in this, there's nothing going wrong, apart from all the things we know certainly can be a danger and can go wrong, but we sort of accept those risks. But why would I change? And and why certainly why would I change into a do- direction that, that might become more complicated, especially mm-hmm. more complicated, if you like, from me as the provider having to yeah change the whole way I do things because let's be honest we're people and we might not really like change especially if we've perhaps been doing something the same way for a really long period of time mm-hmm. and so I definitely also got this pushback from maybe the people who felt challenged by that and and <laughs> it came back to me with some even some threats really which sort of like I don't even know it was sort of ridiculous and if you weren't in a really serious board meeting um, I would have laughed at these people um, who were coming to me claiming wildly with no evidence behind it things like you're gonna kill women doing this and I just what what like where is that coming from Mm -hmm. um uh and um and then the other really um <laughs> one that did actually make me laugh out loud um I, I certainly got one threat if you like or they thought it was a threat they said but once you do it once that woman's going to tell her friends and she's going to put it on her facebook <laughs> and then you're going to get other people asking for this and i went but that's the point. That's, <laughs> that's the whole thing. Yeah. That is why I want to do it. We want to make this change. That is what we are doing. <laughs> so oh. yeah, I thought that was funny, but um yeah. that, that that's not definitely not where they were coming from with that <laughs> idea. Oh anyway, that is what has happened. Um so they were yeah. right. <laughs> they were totally right. Here we are. All of us are in here like loving it and just wanting to talk to you about it because you're willing to it's it's so like we were saying earlier like it's sad to to know that so many people are so close-minded like oh well if you do this then it's gonna get out and it's like well yeah i'm not doing this as a secret i'm not going through all this you know to keep it a secret like we want to make this change we want to make cesarean birth better like that Mm. is you know, and in, you know, our, my slogan is like make birth after cesarean better, but we, you know, to be really honest, like sometimes our VBACs aren't, they don't end up going out exactly as planned and, or maybe we decided in the end that we want to schedule cesarean. And so let's have a healing experience, a beautiful experience, and let's incorporate these moms as you were doing because it's truly going to make a difference. And, you know, I, I don't know how many of these you have done, but I would be so curious to start learning what it does for the postpartum period, where it's taking us in postpartum and how we are viewing these births. Right. So, so many people that I talk to, and if you can only imagine 
have had very traumatic cesareans, very terrible experiences, ones that they truly have to process and work through before they can even fall pregnant again. And I just, it makes me wonder with this, even if it is a cesarean and even if it wasn't desired, right? What, what ways it would change our view? Yeah. And I don't know, have you had a lot of people talking about their experience and uh, oh, how sure. they're viewing this? What are your patients saying? I would, I would really love to be able to do like, you know, if I had time in the world, right, to do like an in-depth study basically of, yeah, what the feedback was from all of the, um, the families that so far have had this procedure, uh, this maternal or paternal or whatever you want to call it, assisted cesarean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly one thing I know for a fact is that I've definitely never had anybody come back to me after they've done this and complain or, or actually have any concerns. I have not had anybody ever come back saying, oh, yeah, well, maybe next time I won't do that Um, Mm -hmm. or I wish I hadn't done that. Nobody has ever said that. It has definitely always been a really positive experience for them. Um, Some um, families, some mothers are only having uh, their first baby and doing it this way. So, you know, perhaps they don't have anything to compare it to, but that doesn't matter. Um, mm-hmm. What they know from this experience has been that it, it was really empowering for them and that it sort of, if you want to say, like achieved a lot of the things that they would be imagining out of vaginal birth anyway. Yeah. Um, and then I've had all the way up to um, somebody having her fifth cesarean mm-hmm. um, and her four previous cesareans had been with other providers and so had not been any kind of maternal assisted cesarean and um, and in particular her fourth cesarean before she came to me was a really difficult traumatic experience for her because of you know things that happened at that time and so this was in this unplanned pregnancy and so this wasn't meant to happen in the first place but you know happy about it accepting of it for sure and she was acknowledging that um, certainly she was going to have a, a fifth cesarean and so she came to me and we performed this maternal assisted cesarean and you know we'd spent an extensive period of time talking about what all of the very specific things that had been difficult for her in her previous cesareans and how we could sort of overcome that yeah. uh, and what we could do differently this time around and so she has this fifth cesarean which she then says is so dramatically different from all of the other experiences that she had had and so healing for her that she could now say in retrospect she didn't perhaps even had she hadn't even processed perhaps about how difficult the other cesareans had been until she'd had this experience where she can now see the difference and she's like okay now i can actually rest happy that that this was my final baby now, she says, you know, the fifth one, we're done, like we're taking permanent measures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this then was so healing for her that she can sort of rest on the knowledge that this is her lasting impression of what birth is now, that it was yeah. this birth rather than the previous one in particular mm-hmm. that had actually been really, really difficult. And she and she had that insight to say, even that postpartum bonding period with her baby was so impacted by the difference in her cesarean experiences 
that yeah she she knew this baby from the very beginning she got to be the first person to put hands on her baby she got to have that immediate skin to skin with her baby and that uninterrupted bonding time where she got and it always um it often takes the women by surprise perhaps they just haven't thought about these details but they often will say things like like whoa this baby's warm and slippery and wet and yeah. I'm like well, yes, of course yeah. it is warm and slippery and wet. Like, I don't know what you're imagining otherwise, but <laughs> it just, that hadn't been their experience before because previously the first mm -hmm. way that they'd experienced their baby was mm -hmm. only after the providers had, you know, dried off the baby off. and wrapped it up in a blanket and maybe now given it to them. And, and so they've sort of only got this little view of this little face and and so all they've got is that like I can touch your cheek kind of deal. Um mm -hmm. and and so yeah, it has taken them by surprise that yeah. hey, it turns out when you first lay hands on your baby, it's warm and wet and slippery. <laughs> mm, it's kind of crazy though. I have the same thought. Like, so with my V back, pulled him out and kind of like, you know, pulled him up from my from my vagina and pulled him onto my chest. And he was, I was like, am I going to drop him? Like, cause he's yeah. so slippery. And before, like I didn't, I was strapped to the table and didn't really get that. Right. And so it is, it's a, such a different feeling. And you wouldn't think about those little details being like so dramatic, but they, they're going to leave an impression. Yeah. Yeah. So how can us as listeners and people going for a VBAC maybe, or maybe just a scheduled cesarean, but you know, maybe going for a VBAC and ends in a cesarean. Are there any tips that you can give, or is there anything that you feel like we can start doing, especially if our hospital's not doing what yours is doing, to try and get this yeah. going? You yeah. know, like your patient did. Is there yep. anything or any tips to birth? Uh, if any providers are out there listening, do you? Have any tips for anybody? Oh, I think definitely, I think it can be achievable to make a change in the space of your own pregnancy, but perhaps start that early. And so perhaps if you knew that maybe a cesarean was the way that you were going to go, start that conversation early with your care provider to say, okay, well, if it's a cesarean, can we make it look like this? And perhaps mm -hmm. it's not necessarily going to be to that extent of the maternal assisted cesarean, because that, mm -hmm. you know, I think does take, as I said, all of those sort of hoops to jump through and it will yeah. take time. I was incredibly, I think, I don't know if luck's the right word, but in a privileged position to be able to make those changes in the space of only a few months in my hospital to introduce wow. this new policy and to be able to achieve it for that one woman um, who'd asked for it. And then to follow on from that. But I know that for a lot of hospital workers that trying to change policy usually takes much, much, much longer than that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's got to start somewhere. So if you as a mother are wanting to make that change, it is possible that it's, that it's not going to work in your pregnancy journey, but you could still be a voice for future mothers if you start mm -hmm. the process at some point it's, it's got to start somewhere and so the really easy first start is to start talking to your care provider um to say this is maybe what i want it to look like in whichever way that might be whether or not yeah maternal assisted cesarean or even just a simple things like let's lower the curtain down so that i can see my baby um emerging from my uterus mm. and um and perhaps 
because I think, yeah, a lot of care providers are going to maybe take that easy way out and say, no, you can't do that because we don't do that here. The the next step in that conversation, I think, is just to ask gently, like, why? Why is that? Why can't we do that? Mm-hmm. And I think the key there is I say gently, and I don't mean that you should be like pleading or begging, um, right. but, you know, <laughs> confrontation often doesn't achieve what you want it to achieve so just have just an actual sensible conversation with your care provider right so if they come back and they say no you can't do that then perhaps you can say well why can't we do that to actually find out what the legitimate reasons are if if there's a legitimate reason right because if the answer is well we don't have a policy for that then you can ask the How next do we question. Create one. <laughs> exactly. How do we go about creating a policy? If the answer is something like, my belief is that it's going to increase maternal infection rates, then you can come back and say, is there evidence for that? Can you show me the evidence for that? Um, because I, I actually don't believe that there is any evidence for that. If it's a, you know, what, so whatever the answer might be, like just keep the conversation rolling um, so that hopefully at some point there might be this little click um, in the care provider's mind that says, oh, well, maybe you're right. Maybe uh, this is a legitimate question to ask and and possibly I can maybe even be that change um, in, yeah. in this woman's life. And, and maybe, again, perhaps not, you know, maybe that care provider is still just going to be not open to change and not willing to make that personal effort that it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, if you're in the um, position of maybe having different care providers or, or you have the ability to request a different care provider, then go to the next person and ask the same question. And maybe, again, this is not perhaps going to achieve it in, in your pregnancy journey, so to speak. But if then me as a care provider has multiple people coming to ask me the same thing, I would think that at some point there's going to be a realisation where yes. I say, oh. This is desired. <laughs> this is desired. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Because if there is that desire, then maybe it is worthwhile actually making that effort to to make a change. If I also believe, because, you know, it, I think it does take this understanding on the care provider's behalf to have that insight to say, actually, this is an important thing um, mm-hmm. to do for our women and, and their families. Yeah. Um, and where it takes an open mind for that. So maybe you're not mm-hmm. going to get that with a, the first care provider, but ask for another one and just keep yeah. going. And just, just keep, keep going. going. And, yeah, um, and I feel like the more it's asked, like you said, the more it's going to like be in our heads as a provider. And then maybe a provider just one day is going to say, okay, Let's let's yep. look into this. Yeah. Just, yeah. And then you can always just ask to go up that chain of command, so to speak, as well. So yeah. if the obstetrician themselves are perhaps not amenable um, to change, then you can ask that question of, can I get, say, the contact details of who, say, the clinical director would be or, or whatever perhaps the titles are of the people in the hospital that... Mm-hmm you know, in charge and, and making that change. So just go up the pipeline. You can do that as a consumer. You can directly approach the clinical director or, you know, in my case at the private hospital, the CEO, CEO. Mm-hmm. just write them an email, you know, don't maybe <laughs> knock on their door, <laughs> but just gently ask um, in an email, perhaps is this something that we can work on? And yeah. and and it is happening. 
And all of those countries that I've said that have come back to me and said we were able to achieve this for the maybe for the first time in our country, a lot of the time that started with the patient herself asking her care provider mm -hmm. um, and then hopefully meeting a, a care provider who is amenable to that challenge and who will take up the baton themselves. And, and they're, they're going to be obviously more powerful at going up that pipeline to, to make change happen. And But it's possible. It is possible. It is happening. It is. It is happening. Your page has all the proof, all yeah. the proof that it They're is They're not happening. fake videos. <laughs> I don't They're have time for that. <laughs> fake videos. Oh, I know. I wish. I. It's like I said, it just makes me sad that people would even question yeah. that they're fake, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, oh, well, okay. So kind of, you know, how did your journey of how this happened? Now, this is how we as consumers, I love that you said, like, we are a consumer that we're, we are really in a place that we can, we can implement this, we can get things going. And that's simply just by putting the idea in a provider's mind. Yeah. Um. Oh, I love that so much. Um. So I, you recently posted just an introduction from from your for your of yourself and you know something that you that stood out to me is in your post you talked about like what if we do nothing and like mm -hmm. what if we change the care and stop intervening and do nothing and then you kind of preface into like and I don't mean literally doing nothing but I'm meaning like continue supporting loving educating and empowering and I just I it it really resonates with me and I love that so much I love your words from that post in fact, we will link it in the show notes so everyone can just find it really easily. It's just beautiful. And I love what you're doing. Like, I really love it. Like, so much. I can't even <laughs> tell you how grateful I am because, you know, like you said, like, you're a VBAC podcast. I'm doing these cesareans. And, you know, yes, I would like to see the cesarean rates go down, like, substantial. That is, mm. like, a huge goal of my like personal life, right? Like I would love to see cesarean birth percentages going down, but at the yeah. same time, I do understand that they are needed, they are desired, and there's that to be said. Um, so one of the questions I was going to ask you before I let you go is kind of, so a lot of these videos look very like calm, very planned. And we know sometimes cesareans aren't calm or planned. Um, so are there kind of restrictions there, like pre restrictions that like have to come into play before uh, maternal assisted cesarean delivery could go? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, one thing I always definitely want to say is, and I've, cause I've had this sort of crisis myself as well going, am I getting known as a cesarean doctor? Um, I don't want I to become that, that. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, I certainly don't want to become that person who then only does um, cesareans Cesarean. and maternal assisted cesareans yeah uh, but if a cesarean is the right choice um, for the woman in her situation then yes let's make it the best possible version of a cesarean that we can be in fact that's kind of like my internal catchphrase that I always mm. say like let's make every birth the best possible version of that birth that yes. it can be Yes. So whether or not that's a vaginal birth or whether or not that's a cesarean or whether or not that's anything, a forceps, let's make it the best possible forceps it can be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, mm, okay, that's not top of the list of whatever you want to plan for. But yeah. if it's going to be that, then let's make it the best possible version of that. 
that we can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, then in a cesarean situation, um, how can we make that as calm and maybe not even calm, right? It's it's about that connection. It's about that instant connection of the, the mother and her baby. Uh, so how can we try to achieve that where she can be this integral part of her own birth rather mm-hmm. than it being she is a patient having an operation? Um, mm-hmm. So it's about changing that viewpoint. And, uh, and so I think that there's then so many little elements of that that we can achieve that even if it's, as I say, not necessarily straight up to the maternal assisted cesarean part that we can, yeah, just there are so many other steps that can be important that we can do without necessarily having her scrubbed and putting gloves on and putting her hands in her belly. But let's lower the curtain. Let's do direct skin to skin. Let's do delayed cord clamping. Let's not take the baby away from the mother. Let's keep them, you know, like all of those things can still be achieved as well, perhaps even and mostly still very achievable in an emergency cesarean um, situation. And we, you know, and we use the word emergency cesarean a little bit willy-nilly because it's not mm-hmm. often an actual emergency. Like, yes. I love that you pointed that out. Yeah. But it though, but sometimes when we use that emergency word, it triggers people and they think that they it was a life-saving. Yeah thing and you know and so i love that you said that because we have a lot of people say oh we had an emergency c-section and i'm like oh what was the reason for your c-section they're like oh i didn't dilate past a three for a few hours so we walked down to the or yeah right that wasn't an emergency (laughs) c-section i think so in our hospital and i know most other hospitals in australia perhaps have a very similar classification system but we either obviously call it an elective cesarean, meaning it's planned and it's booked well in advance, or mm-hmm. if it's an unplanned cesarean, it gets called an emergency cesarean. But we have then six different categories of how we classify how mm-hmm. urgent that emergency cesarean is, mm-hmm. but they okay. all then come under the banner of an emergency cesarean. But our category, like five, is it just needs to be done within the next 24 hours. So it's still called an emergency cesarean, but clearly if we're happy to wait 23 and a half hours, it's clearly not that urgent, but it still gets called an emergency caesar. So yeah, there's a very wide degree of how urgent an emergency cesarean might be. So yes, at, at my hospital where I am able to do maternal assisted cesareans because I'm not at all of the hospitals that I work at, um, but at the one that I am able to do it at, at the moment, our policy is written in such a way that it is only for these planned elective cesareans. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's got to do with a whole range of factors. It has got to do with me being able to prepare the the woman and her family ahead of time to know what this is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go through all those nuances of how she is, for example, how she is going to become sterile because it mm-hmm. is still an operation. So we do right. need to actually play by those rules um, to make sure that it is safe. I think I often get questions or comments on my maternal assisted cesarean videos that say things like, oh, isn't it a shame that she's got gloves on? Like if it was truly a bonding experience, she would touch her baby without gloves on. And I go, yes, absolutely. That would be really, really nice. Of course, it would be preferable for her to be able to grab her baby with her bare mm-hmm. hands. But we have to keep in mind this is actually still an operation. So from those that perspective of we need to keep it safe for her, yes, she needs to have gloves on. I can't see a way around that at this point in time. 
once the baby's out of her, once the baby's on her chest, once the baby's not in that sterile field, so to speak, then of course, take her gloves off. She can touch her baby straight away. And that's what you'll see in those videos is that I often then sort of like lower her gown down so that she can put her baby directly onto her skin, onto her chest. Um, And then I'd be very happy for her to take her gloves off. They often just don't in that instant because they're just holding their baby and they don't want to move from that moment. So, yeah, part of the reason why it's currently only getting performed in elective cesarean situations is that pre-preparation where I've taught her, if you like, all of these rules of maintaining sterility so that she doesn't inadvertently break any of those rules. And so she kind of has to follow the same rules that I, as the operating surgeon, has to. We go through the whole same hand-washing process um, yeah. and the same, you know, there's a little technique to put in on the gown and the gloves and whatnot. Yep. So, yeah, you'll see the, the you'll see this they go, weird. They get up, they up get all washed, the hands yeah. up in the air, everything goes on, gloves goes on, gloves go right. on. Yeah. Exactly. And then she, you know, she can't then touch anything after that point that's not sterile. Um, so it's all of that sort of pre-preparation and it's the pre-preparation of what it is going to look like and what it's going to feel like for her to, yeah, put her hands on that wet, warm, slippery baby and to be able to lift Mm -hmm. it out of her. And they often perhaps, uh, I get that she starts to lift and she's like, ah, I can't do it. It's stuck. And I'm like, no, you have to be reasonably firm. Um, yeah. cause you know, I've tried to make only hopefully a small enough hole <laughs> so that yeah. you can get your baby out, but it's not like hip to hip. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's a little bit of a tight squeeze. So yeah, pop it out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that um, was a question I wanted to ask you. Have you seen just since you've been doing this, have you seen any special scar type situations with a mother assisting meaning like any extensions jays or anything like that no i haven't i really haven't awesome um and i again some of those yeah that's that's a question that we get i get the question from people perhaps of and and i think this comes from their previous expectations or what they've been told perhaps in previous cesareans that isn't it like going to damage her abdominal muscles if she sits up like that, so to speak? You know, if she's reaching and, and, and grabbing, mm-hmm. um, she's lifted her head up. People have told me before that in their previous cesareans, they've been very much guided to not lift their head up. Um, in fact, I've had people tell me from other countries in particular that not only were their arms strapped down to the table, but their head was strapped to the table as well yes, so that, that they well. can't move their head and that they have a system where they have to lie down flat for six hours after a cesarean so that they still can't lift their head up or or sit up for hours after the cesarean because of this idea of things like a spinal puncher headache or what I don't even know what those rules are because they don't make any sense to me. But if that's what people's experiences have been, then, of course, again, that's a reason why they're questioning the validity or the safety of when they see then what I'm doing, that they they themselves might right. think that this is dangerous. But no, there's no abdominal muscle trauma, um, mm-hmm. you know, in excess of what a cesarean does anyway, right? Yeah. Because that's keep that in mind. There's, yeah, no, there's no risk to women of lifting their head up off the table. There's no risk to women of of, you know, bending so to speak and lifting their baby up at the same time as the cesarean yes it can be a little bit more difficult because of course they are anesthetized um but, mm-hmm. but we're, we're there still she's not going to drop this baby i'm still very much within catching range right so to there. speak yeah. supporting range and and you might see on some of the these that yes i do still give her that little little helping hand of yeah to maybe often to 
pop its bottom out. <laughs> but once she's once she's got that baby, like you just then watch their faces. If you watch those videos and sometimes like blur out the rest of the stuff that's going on and just watch her face. It's really powerful to watch her, you know, have this sort of, if you like this, um, first of all, maybe this anxiety that's building, um, you know, that would be an obvious sort of response. Here she is lying down for this operation. And then we lower those curtains and there's this sort of wonderment of what this is going to be. And then she touches her baby and she lifts it up. And there's that moment of pure joy on her face every single time and often you'll see of course the tears that come with that too and Mm -hmm. it's just powerful and and that's what birth should be like every single time and just because it's now in an operating theater that doesn't mean that we can't achieve all of those same things right yeah that's my full stop after that right (laughs) i love that i love that And, you know, and hopefully one day, you know, like I'm thinking, okay, I totally get that. Like you have to kind of pre-prep and talk about this in a planned situation, you know, and I hope that maybe one day, just one day, like the conversation can be had in prenatal appointments where it's like, hey, if you don't have a vaginal birth, if you don't have a VBAC or, you know, just first time mom, there are, there's these options and here sign this form if you would like to be educated on this and let's educate and assuming it's all calm and it's not a true emergent right yeah maybe out in seconds very calm decision everyone making their way to vor maybe we can start implementing it there too um, because i do know for sure it would it would be so healing in so many ways uh for all these moms that that maybe wanted to be back and didn't have their back oh Um, for sure I think that's so true. I definitely like that, that where I'm constantly perhaps pushing the boundaries at my hospital is that that's where I next want to take it is Mm -hmm. because, you know, as I said, in my policy, um, it's, it's written that this can only be performed at elective Caesars. And I went, I wrote that policy. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, If I could go back, I would take that out. I mean, it had to be that way, I think, to start off with because we Mm -hmm. did want to do this in a really controlled way because we were introducing a a new technique. But now that we've seen it and all of the reasons that we believed we would need all of this extra time to be able to plan for this, now that we've done enough of them that we're all sort of practiced and experienced at them, it literally maybe takes an extra five minutes um, to the time of the operation just to get it ready. So there's no particular reason that I can see that we then couldn't achieve that same sort of thing for the vast majority of unplanned cesareans as well. Yeah, yeah. And and that would be a game changer because obviously the unplanned cesarean is in particular where the woman might come out traumatised at the other end if she's not getting what she thought she was, you know, what she was aiming for. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So wouldn't that be powerful if we could still then make it the best possible version of the emergency cesarean that we could do? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I want to be cautious of your time. I know you've been up all night for multiple nights <laughs> on call doing the amazing things you do. 
I would love to leave it since we, it is a VBAC podcast. Is there anything that you would like to share about VBAC or anything really cool that you've seen or that you've started implementing with VBAC or any tips or anything as a provider who is making change in birth in general? And I do want to focus on that, that I don't, I don't personally see you as the cesarean birth Great. <laughs> um, <laughs> provider. Um, that's not one of the reasons why I just think that you are just amazing. I do think that is an amazing thing that you, what you have done because you have started something that it's just, it's really tricky. It's a really tricky thing and you've started it. And, and that's where we start making changes just to start. But I see all your other posts too. I see all your beautiful, amazing posts. And I mean, you're even sharing, I'm pretty sure you just shared a home birth um, cesarean video like we yeah, need to go or a, a home, the home birth feedback, right? The H-back. Yes, the yep. H-back. And like a lot of providers, even in a hospital setting would be like, nope, big <laughs> no-no, that is terrible. And you're still out there sharing it and you're still there educating. So yeah, is there anything else that you would like to share for feedback or anything? Yeah, else? I think... Um, that's right. I definitely am still very, very much in support of just basically every woman being able to be empowered and informed to make the possible, you know, the best possible choices for her in the situation that she's facing. Because whilst, yes, aiming for a VBAC is um, a really lofty goal, sometimes that isn't going to be the best possible choice for her in whatever situation, for whatever reason that might be. So, yeah, number one is always uh, having enough information being given to you or that you're finding out yourself that you are equipped to make a decision and probably, you know, multiple decisions that feel right for you. Yes. And that's uh, that's difficult sometimes, I think, to know where to go to for that information. And so then thank goodness for places like the VBAC link that can actually give you appropriate medical advice, you know, research and the studies and the actual accurate information so that it's not just fear-based information that's getting thrown your way. Yes. Um, and and then it's it's about always advocating for yourself, which is, unfortunate that it sort of has to become that way but you know the hospital system in particular is you know this very sort of fear driven litigation concerned place and so you're often not necessarily going to get that unbiased opinion on on what your choices are so you're probably going to have to go to external places to get that information but then you just have to be really careful about where you're going to for that information so trust your sources and then also, you know, my other tip, I guess, is always going to be, but it's, it's about looking at that whole birth mapping thing. So, okay, yes, we're going to aim for a VBAC, for example, might be your choice, but what if X happens, um, then what's going to be my choice in that situation? And then if Y happens, then where am I going to diverge now? And what's going to be my mm -hmm. choice in that situation? Because we know that a lot of birth trauma comes from the situation that wasn't prepared for, you know, the woman that comes back at the other side and says, well, I just didn't consider that that could have happened to me. And so the unexpected thing or the unplanned thing that happened is, is perhaps where a lot of birth trauma can come from. Mm -hmm. So having that fine line between considering all possibilities, but then not needing to dwell on those scary ones, you know, those fear-based ones, but yeah. knowing okay, what if you then need a hospital transfer? What if you need a cesarean? What are your choices going to be in that situation? 
Mm-hmm. And so that you can yeah, continue to make, as I said, going back to my catchphrase, just make it the best possible version of that now yeah. um, that you can that you can possibly make. Yeah. I love that. And you know, it's something that a lot of our followers will say, like when they had their initial cesarean, right? Like it was traumatic because it wasn't it wasn't even in my mind. Mm. It wasn't even a thought that that was a possibility. Or I was so focused on this birth plan, this this one route that I wanted to go. And then I did diverge and I diverged completely over here and it drew me for a loop and now I'm processing, you know? And so I love that just in general, like for anyone going in to have a baby, whether even if a planned cesarean, like really we want to have an open mind because birth takes weird turns sometimes, but having an open mind and having all of your ducks in a row and having the education because you may not ever get there, mm. but if it's there, it's going to help you if it comes, right? Yeah. So I love that. I love that tip. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing just how you have got this implemented and how it started and how we as people can try to implement it in our lives and in our cities and states and countries. Because we do, we have people listening from all over the world and um, I love hearing that it is slowly creeping out there and and having having it uh, be put in place. So thank you for all that you do, for your hard work, for all your support in all the types of birth that you support. And I really do. I just appreciate your time so much. You are very, very welcome. I am always keen and passionate to, of course, continue to advocate for um, change wherever we can. And I'll always just give a little shout out and say, you know, if, if you are a, a pregnant woman or considering or a provider or considering this as a change and, and you need a place to start, you can very much reach out to me via Instagram. You can send me a DM and, and I can email you information like the policy, like some information that I've generated that may be able to help you along your journey as well. So Absolutely. I'm very open to that. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, guys. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Tell us about your experience at thevbacklink.com slash share. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julian Megan's bios, head over to thevbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC Link.